Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Welcome to the Investing Insights Podcast from Morningstar. In this week's podcast, Ed Slot shows us how to supersize a Roth IRA. We highlight two new funds under our coverage. We take a closer look at the streaming landscape. And Andrew Willis puts the spotlight on an undervalued brewer. Let's get started. Here is tax planning expert Ed Slot with Christine Benz from Morningstar, Inc. Hi, I'm Christine Benz from Morningstar. How can you supersize your Roth IRA balance? Joining me to discuss the mega backdoor Roth IRA is author and tax planning expert Ed Slot. Ed, thank you so much for being here. Great to be back with you, Christine. Thanks. It's great to have you here. Let's talk about this mega backdoor Roth IRA. Businessman Peter Thiel made headlines recently for getting $5 billion into a Roth IRA. Most people don't have the strategies at hand that he was able to use, but there is a strategy that people can enlarge their Roth IRAs with, and it involves using after-tax 401k contributions. Can, can you talk about that? Because that does seem like that's the starting point for being able to get more funds into a Roth IRA than you would be able to get if you were just contributing the 6000 per year um, that you're able to do. Well, first with the Peter Thiel, uh, he didn't do anything illegal. Remember, people think he had billions of dollars. You know, it's like the old joke, how do you become a billionaire? First, you have to have a billion dollars. And then, you know, uh, he didn't have a billion dollars. Back in 1999, he he contributed the legal amount of $2,000, that's what it was back then, to his Roth IRA. He was under the income limit, so he was allowed to do it. Then he invested $1,700 of that $2,000. The $2,000 is the only money he ever put in a Roth IRA. And of course, it took off like a lottery ticket type of investment. It should only happen to everybody. So there's nothing wrong with what he did. So it got people thinking, as you say, how could I do that? Well, you, you know, unless you have that information and that uh, intuitive, uh, it, whatever it is that I don't, I don't want to say inside information, but unless you're a super investor and lucky, maybe too. Uh, that's probably not going to happen to you, but you can make it happen using the tax law through your employer's 401k. So that's the starting point for this something for this uh, thing we call the mega uh, backdoor Roth IRA. Because there's a separate mega, there's a separate backdoor Roth IRA. This is the mega backdoor. So this involves being in a company plan, which means you have to be employed by a company. So there's a few obstacles here. It's not all it's cracked up to be. It sounds good because in some cases you can put up to $58,000 in, in an after-tax account in a company plan and then take it out and roll it to your Roth IRA tax-free, 58,000 a year. So there's a few hurdles. The biggest hurdle is the company has to qualify. There are discrimination and testing rules to prevent higher income employees from sort of gobbling up all the benefits and leaving lower paid employees without the benefits. So there's discrimination rules uh, that some big companies can handle because they have a bigger pool of employees to get that average over more people. But a smaller company, like let's say you have a group of doctors or lawyers, maybe 10 people or so, uh, or a little more, but 
you have this wide gap between higher paid people and lower paid people, they probably wouldn't qualify under the discrimination testing. So that's one thing. You know who does qualify? People with no employees. You have a solo 401k, you don't have to worry about any of that. So if you have your own business and you have a solo 401k without any employees besides you or a spouse, uh, you don't have to worry about that hurdle. But assuming you get past that hurdle, the employer, the company, has to offer after-tax contributions. Now, they don't have to do it. Uh, it's optional. So that's the first test. Do they offer it? Many more companies are offering that. Then they have to allow in-service distributions even before 59 and a half. Not everybody offers that. Again, it's optional. And the third, probably the biggest hurdle, you have to have the disposable income to put that kind of money away. It sounds great. Oh, 58,000. Well, that's going to come from your own pocket. So you have to have that money available. If all these planets are aligned and you can do that, yes, you could put up to say 58,000. That's the amount for 2021 in an after-tax account in your 401k, assuming they allow it and all those factors I went through. And then if they have the in-service distributions, you could take that money out before it earns too much, roll it over to your own Roth IRA. And there you have all that money going into a Roth IRA, say 58,000 a year, way more, like you said, than the 6,000 limit or even 7,000 limit if you're 50 or over. And unlike the Roth contributions, the six or 7,000, which you may not qualify for if your income is too high. There is no income limit. You could be making a million dollars a year at the 401k and still qualify to put, say, this uh, up to 58000 away in the Roth. And if you do qualify, say your income's under and you do qualify for Roth contributions, the six or 7000 you could do both. Well, you referenced the after-tax contributions, and I think some people hear that and they think, well, that's the same as Roth contributions, which are also after-tax. Can you explain the difference in this situation and also whether or why one might fund the after-tax contributions in lieu of the Roth 401k contributions. It seems like the Roth 401k contributions, at least making those, that should be the starting point, right? Well, I, as I said, you could do both if you qualify for Roth contributions. But let's say you do, you don't, it, that doesn't really make a difference. It's just an add-on. Look at the 401k plan, the average 401k, and they are not, they don't all offer all of these options, but look at it like it has four separate baskets. You have the traditional 401k funds. That's what most people are used to. That's pre-tax. That money hasn't been taxed. You get a deduction going in. Then you have the Roth 401k if they offer, and lots more companies do offer it now. That's after tax. But then they have these other two baskets if they have it. The after-tax, which is not the Roth 401k, it's a separate after-tax account where you could load up and then do this mega backdoor Roth to your Roth IRA. And then there's a fourth basket most companies have for matching contributions that are always pre-tax. So yes, you could load up the Roth 401k, but you could only go up to the deferral limit, the 19,500 for 2021, plus another 6,500 if you're 50 or over. So if you want to go up to the 58,000, you'd have to do it in that after-tax account if you want to mega it, so to speak. 
So there's lots of options, but the bottom line is to mega uh, it, by mega we mean increasing it to the max, getting the 58,000 would have to involve uh, maxing out on that after-tax account, not the Roth 401k. It is confusing because they're both after-tax accounts, but the Roth 401k is limited to the deferral, the amount that comes out of your salary, which is 19.5 for 21 plus 6,500 if you're 50 or over. But that still leaves you somewhere around $38,000 you could put in the after-tax. Again, back to what I said earlier, if you have the disposable income to put in there. Right. That seems absolutely key. So you referenced this in-plan distribution feature. Um, what if a plan doesn't offer that? What are the options then and what are the tax consequences in, the, in that situation? Well, if they don't offer it, hopefully you could load up the Roth 401k for at least the deferral amount and maybe park that money in the after-tax account uh, until you're eligible for a distribution. But most companies, it seems now, I know there were some studies done recently by Fidelity, they said about 90% of their plans offer it. Uh, if they have the after-tax, one of the great features of the after-tax account, not the Roth 401k, is you could have in-service distributions and you don't have to wait till 59 and a half, which you might have to wait, say, in the other accounts in that plan. So you could be 40 and start doing this every year, taking advantage of the after-tax account and then rolling it to your own Roth IRA each year and putting in, essentially, if you have the money, up to 58,000 in your Roth. And if you qualify for the contribution, maybe another 6,000. Okay. So you referenced a few times, Ed, that this is for high income, heavy savers. You need to have a lot of income to be able to take advantage of this feature. It seems uh, like for people in that situation, they really have a fork in the road where they could do these after-tax 401k contributions or the other option for the overage would be to simply save in a taxable brokerage account or something like that. So can you sort of talk us through which is the better option? Well, the better option is always going to be the after tax because that can go into a Roth and grow tax-free. Taxable accounts, even if you get a favorable capital gains rates, still are going to be taxed, maybe at a lower rate. And we don't even know what the future on that is with pending legislation, but it will be taxed. Plus, you have administrative tax reporting every time you buy and sell that's reported in a taxable account. You can buy and sell all day in a, in a retirement account in the after tax or in your Roth IRA, and that doesn't have to be reported anywhere. And when the money comes out, eventually, if you qualify to have it for five years and you're 59 and a half, it's all tax free. So you can't beat a 0% rate. How about prior to age 59 and a half? Um, can you walk us through someone's paid taxes on these funds, do they have access to them in any fashion prior to retirement age? Well, generally you have to have the five years of 59 and a half. Let's go back to the Peter Thiel story because it's not over yet. Everybody's talking about his 5 billion in his Roth IRA. But remember, Roth IRAs are included in the estate. Now, from what I understand, I may be off. I think he's 53, 54 years old. He can't touch any of that money in his Roth until he's 59 and a half, except 
his 2000, his 2000, he can get out because that's his contribution. You could always take that out tax and penalty free at any time for every any reason. So he has access to the 2000, the 5 billion he'll have to wait. So maybe we'll set up like a GoFundMe page to get him, you know, as a bridge loan uh, to get him to 59 and a half or something. But he can't touch the rest of that money. It's all earnings uh, without tax and a penalty of 59 and a half. By then it might be worth 10 billion. And if he lives a long and healthy life and he lives well into his 80s let's say could be worth 50 billion but at some point the government's going to get a good cut of that through a state tax well ed great information as always (laughs) thank you so much for taking the time to be here thanks christine thanks for watching i'm christine benz for morningstar expand your investing horizons and look to the long term with morningstar's podcast the long view Join hosts Christine Benz and Jeff Patak as they talk to influential leaders in investing, advice, and personal finance. Search for and subscribe to The Long View today. Now, here's what we think of Baird Ultra Short Bond and Alger Midcap Focus. Today, we're looking at two funds that Morningstar's analysts have brought under coverage during the past few months. Baird Ultra Short Bond, a newer addition to Baird's taxable fixed income franchise, sports the same highly competent team and stellar investment process that has bolstered other funds in the family. It earns a Morningstar analyst rating of gold on its cheaper share class and silver on its more expensive option. Lead manager and Baird CIO Mary Ellen Stanek heads a well-tenured portfolio management team. Although not as sizable as some of the firm's largest competitors, The group is deeply collaborative and sticks to investments it can research thoroughly and confidently. Rather than chase for yield by loading up on riskier fare, the team leans on sensible security selection and sector rotation, supported by low fees, in order to outperform its ultra-short bond Morningstar category competitors. The managers keep the strategy's duration neutral to that of the Bloomberg Barclays short-term U.S. government corporate index and avoid leverage, derivatives, and concentrated macro trades. While the team focuses on corporate, securitized, and occasionally municipal credit in order to outperform its U.S. Treasury-heavy index, it balances this risk with judicious credit selection and diversification, emphasizing large, liquid names and keeping position over weightings within 75 basis points of their benchmark size. Low fees preclude the need for outsized risk-taking. Alger Midcap Focus builds upon manager Amy Zhang's strengths as a small company investor and earns a Morningstar analyst rating of silver across all share classes. This fund, which launched in June 2019, is a natural extension of Zhang's work at Alger Small Cap Focus, which is closed to most new investors. Both strategies use an intriguing approach to company size based on operating revenues rather than market cap which helps Zhang focus on companies generating cash with viable products or services. From there, she looks for growing firms with healthy balance sheets, durable business models, and promising growth potential. To keep the strategy focused, Zhang builds a portfolio of about 50 holdings. This short-lived mutual fund has been a winner so far, excelling in both rising and falling markets. Capacity, both for Zhang and the fund, bears watching. This fund has started to gather assets quickly. Next, find out why Viacom, CBS, and Discovery are promising stock picks. We recently took a look at the streaming landscape. With the combination of a huge customer base and strong revenue per customer, 
Netflix has built a solid foundation that is growing rapidly. The firm's streaming revenue base gives it adequate scale to compete for the best content. But other media players are quickly adapting to the streaming fight, with Disney and Warner clearly pushing hard to replicate Netflix's direct-to-consumer position. Viacom CBS has also begun to pivot hard toward the streaming market with its broad array of content now under the Paramount Plus umbrella. We think two stocks in the space are promising today. Our first pick is Viacom CBS. Recombined, the new firm has the content breadth and depth to ensure that its roster of channels remains entrenched in any traditional television offering, while also providing plenty of material for Paramount Plus. Viacom CBS's roster of paid streaming services, which also includes Showtime, has posted strong growth recently, even though the shift from CBS All Access to Paramount Plus only happened in March. The free Pluto TV platform is also growing rapidly. Finally, as movie theaters reopen, the firm's film studio should benefit nicely. We think shares are worth $61 a piece. Next up is Discovery. Discovery has long been known as a firm that produces and owns unique content with proven appeal to audiences across cultures and languages. As a result, its traditional networks have wide distribution, reaching 85 million U.S. households and more than 200 million internationally. The launch of Discovery Plus earlier this year leaves the firm a bit late to the streaming game, but it now has an outlet for fans who don't want traditional television service. The plan to join forces with Warner Media should provide opportunities to accelerate streaming adoption as the firm crafts bundled offerings. We assign Discovery's shares a fair value estimate of $42. Lastly, Andrew Willis from Morningstar Canada talks about Constellation Brands. What started with wineries and distilleries has become an empire of beer brands with enviable growth prospects. From Corona to Modelo, Constellation's Mexican beers look set to thrive in an evolving industry landscape. With craft beer competition and a new war of the seltzers that's blurring the lines between beer and cocktail, Constellation is navigating the new environment by dominating the import beer segment, especially in the U.S., Equity analyst Nicholas Johnson says Constellation leads the U.S. import market at a share of 54%, or more than twice Heineken's share. Their number one brand, Modelo Especial, leads the way. In fact, it's the number one import in the U.S. and alongside Corona, set the benefit from a confluence of unwavering secular and demographic trends. Johnson notes that the increase in political, social, and cultural clout of the Hispanic population in the U.S. is widely expected to continue, which bodes well for the company's intangible assets as they resonate well with the demographic. A loyal customer base gives Constellation a wide moat, but it's not sitting still, launching seltzers based on the Corona brand with different fruit flavors, which also happens to work well with the traditional lime wedge. For Morningstar, I'm Andrew Willis. That does it for this week's Investing Insights podcast from Morningstar. We hope you have enjoyed our program and we welcome your feedback. Please send your comments and questions to podcast at Morningstar.com. From everyone here at Morningstar, thanks for listening. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest, 
or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services, LLC, is a subsidiary of Morningstar, Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions, or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.